good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. And so in 2 Kings chapter 5, let's read from the verse number 20. And let's hear the word of God. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat off him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hands and bestowed them in the house and let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore doth Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. When you come to study and interpret this portion of Scripture, it is very important to note that the chapter begins and ends with the matter of leprosy. In verse 1 of the chapter, you have the words at the end, but he was a leper. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, referring to Gehazi, and he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. That itself is a very important issue when it comes to the interpretation of what's happening to Gehazi here. These two men are being brought together by the writer, and we're certainly being encouraged to consider them as a unit of thought. One, a pagan Gentile with leprosy, is healed. Of course, more than that, he's a man who's saved by grace. The other, a privileged Jew, working with the man of God, who ends up defiled and ruined and doomed due to his sin. That sits in the context of the rejection of God by the people of Israel. Now, they're determined to turn their back against God, but as we know from Christ's words regarding Naaman, God has set his love upon this Gentile man. That's an important understanding. You should see that. It is as if the writer is using these two men as a, an illustration. And if you turn your back against God, then judgment will come. But those who seek the Lord, then there is mercy to be found. You see, undoubtedly, leprosy, whilst it is a very vivid picture of sin, is also used by God to display his wrath and judgment. And we see that. Miriam speaks against Moses, Numbers 12, and is struck with leprosy. 
Also the king, 2 Chronicles 26, exercises pride, burns incense, and is struck with leprosy. It is plain to see that God judges sinners with the temporal punishment and with the affliction of leprosy. Uh, you understand, that's not to say that all lepers in the Bible are, if you like, being judged for personal sin. But there are these instances where God very clearly is the author of their affliction in a very direct sense. Of course, God is sovereign over all illnesses, but here, this is judicial. This is God bringing sins upon people for their sins. And so when you see leprosy in this regard, you're being asked to see this is God judging sin. And so God is here judging Gehazi for his sin. And thus, if we're going to see these men together, there is a vital lesson to learn. And that is that the God that shows mercy and the God that pardons a sinner is the God that will also damn the unrepentant sinner. Some will believe and others will be lost. And there will be Naaman's and there will be Gehazi's. He has mercy on whom he has mercy and whom he wills he hardeneth. And those that believe in the Son have everlasting life, and those that believe not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We understand that principle. And I think that's important just as so we think of this in the, the context of the book. And it's a, it's a warning to you all again. You find yourself in a privileged position like Gehazi. Understand that while God is having mercy to those outside, if you reject the gospel, then there is the very real potential to come under the very wrath of God. So when you think of this, you then look at the matter of Gehazi's sin more closely. We're seeing a man rejecting blessing, a man rejecting God's mercy, and a man determined to pursue his own sin. And so to begin with, let's think about the source of Gehazi's sin. Like all sin, his sin comes from a bad heart. But I'm not just inserting that here into the narrative. When you follow the life course of Gehazi to this point, the Lord has given us hints and clues that Gehazi is less than genuine in his walk with God. You turn back to chapter 4 and the verse number 27. I have the account of the Shunammites, and she's coming and burdened. Her son has died. And it says in verse 27, And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. There's a beginning of a glimpse of this man's heart. Here's a lady clearly in distress who wants to get to God through the prophets. And here's a servant and he's pushing her away. It's one clue. There is a harsh and an unloving spirit. In the same account, we find Gehazi to be a prayerless unbeliever. And look at chapter 4 and the verse number 31. And we understand that Elisha sends Gehazi on. He lays the staff upon the face of the child, but there's neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went to meet him again and said to him, The child is not awaked. And what does Elisha do? Well, he comes to the same child. And verse 33, he shuts the door and prays unto the Lord. And we're being shown this contrast here. Gehazi went but didn't engage in prayer. He was sent by Elisha but shows himself to be an unbelieving, prayerless individual at that time. And you'll see also something of his selfishness. 
chapter 4 again, um, the verse number 43. And here he's referred to the servitor, and his servitor said, What should I set this before an hundred men? And the sense is, there's so little food. We have some, but am I going to give it all to these men? And there's a, a selfish spirit. You see, the sin of Gehazi in chapter 5 doesn't come out of nowhere. Sin always comes in the context of an evil heart. We know that in Christ's words, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, thefts, false witness. The very things that Gehazi are guilty of, Christ says in Matthew 15, they come out of an evil heart. Luke 6, the evil comes out of the evil treasure of our hearts. And I just want to stop and ask us all a question. Because from the perspective of an outsider, you can look upon Gehazi. He's alongside the prophet of God. He's not guilty of Baal worship. All seems to be well, but deep in his heart, there are signs of a bitter, harsh, unloving, selfish spirit that eventually is going to erupt in the grotesque sin that he's guilty of in chapter 5. And I wonder, if someone was to write a biography of your life at this time and trace your life over recent months and years, are there already signs in your life that all is not well? Are there spirits and attitudes? Is there a harsh spirit? Is there an unforgiving spirit, an unloving spirit? Is there a selfish spirit, a bitter spirit? What sort of heart do you have? And is that heart going to erupt soon in some grotesque form of sin? And you can see these things coming. People within the professed church of Christ who are bent towards apostasy. Apostasy does not happen in five minutes. It happens over a period of time. And for a season there's a pretense. But through that pretense there are little glimpses of the problem. And it's a heart issue. And you see it coming out sometimes in words that are spoken or attitudes towards others. And truth be told, it's an evil heart of unbelief that's going to eventually erupt in final apostasy. And so I warn you. I warn my own soul. I think of the spirit of Hebrews. Beware these things. The sin that so easily besets us. Beware it now. Deal with it now. Rid out of your heart now. Be honest with yourself. You say, oh yeah, I look back in my walk in recent years and yeah, there are some problems here. I need to deal with this now. You get to the cross and you get to Christ and you ask for God's mercy to deal with your sin. It's a very interesting catalog of events in the life of Gehazi here. Well, what about the steps in his sin then? Let's just trace the events for a moment in this chapter. Well, let me do so keeping in mind the Ten Commandments. I don't want someone to say that God is harsh here. That might be the spirit of some. Because some might say, well, surely all that Gehazi does was ask for the things that Naaman had already offered. He's offered these things. What's the big deal? Why such a harsh and strict judgment from God? Furthermore, Naaman could afford to get rid of some things. He's a wealthy man. No real harm in stealing from the rich, surely. 
Sometimes that's the spirit, isn't it? When people think that God is harsh. Clearly, there is a catalogue of sins here. He covets that which is not his. In verse number 20, you see that. Behold, my master spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. It's hard to fully interpret what is going on in that issue. Is this a, a man who believes that we should spoil the Syrians? Uh, this man is coming and offering provision for the people of God, then that should be taken? Or is it more likely that just a covetous heart that is desiring stuff, material, prosperity? And you see that, it says in verse 20, I will run after him. I'm going to go quickly. I'm going to make sure that I get the stuff. And you see the depth of his coveting. But in the course of this, not only is he guilty of violating the principle, thou shalt not covet, you have in the verse number 20 again, you have the fact that he takes the Lord's name in vain. These sins don't happen in isolation. As the Lord liveth, he makes an oath, an unfounded oath. Not true fear of God, but a misuse of the name of God in the pursuit of his sin. He has no right to claim God's name here, asking for God's blessing upon his sin. Never, ever pray for God to bless your sin. Like, seriously, that's a, that's a dreadful thing. If you're bent in some course of sin, and you're saying to God, Lord, bless me today, but truth be told, your heart is determined to sin that day. That's a very serious thing. And that's what he's saying, as the Lord liveth. I'm going to run. I'm going to commit sin today. He also, of course, well known, he bears false witness. Verse 22, my master sent me. That's not true. And I've also we've no evidence to say that there are these two young men who come to the sons of the prophets. There is lying. There is, of course, the issue of theft. Now, this ultimate, his core, is sitting that which does not belong to him. Verse 25, there are further lies. Thy servant went no whither. And then all of this. And everything, he's guilty of violating the first commandment. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, and covetousness which is idolatry. Colossians 3 verse 5. It's quite a catalogue of sin, isn't it? But that's true of every sin. When you scrutinize a sin, I guarantee you, you'll be able to see related sins in various ways. Things that interrelate to it. So that what happens is that sin is a breach of all of God's law in various forms. Don't think that a discontented, covetous heart is a light thing. This course of action ends in God's judgment upon Gehazi. A.W. Pink, in his work on Elisha's life, draws his comments to Gehazi in a close with this thought. He says this, There is a sharply pointed example here of the bitter fruits borne by the nourishing of a covetous spirit and a fearful exemplification of that word, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pink continues, how we need to pray. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Psalm 119 and the verse number 37. We've got to beware of love for stuff. We've got to beware of a materialistic spirit that desires property and possessions beyond the fear of God. James 1 and the verse 13. You can turn there quickly. It gives us this example of how there are these steps in sin. That there are a sequence of events that was so for Gehazi. 
From this heart comes for all these other sins, and so it is in every sin. And James 1 and verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The Christian church often is quick to blame the devil for this and that. The devil made me do it, maybe this, maybe that. And truth be told, it was the sin within our own hearts. Verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. There are steps and sins. Perhaps you hear tonight, unbeknown to any of us here, you're covering someone else's life. I wish I had their life. And you're covering someone else's possessions. I wish I had what they had. Or perhaps you're covering someone else's wife. Who knows? There are, within such a lustful spirit, there are then steps that we take towards sin. So what is the solution? It is to root the sin out from your heart at its source. It's not simply to deal with the issues of the symptoms and the consequence of the sin. You've got to get the sin at its source. And you do that by the grace of God, running to Calvary afresh for pardon, for protection, and for the power required to have the victory. So we see Gehazi in the steps of his sin. In the third place, though, we see the sadness of his sin. Now, sin is always grieving. There's no time when you have sin present in the Bible that doesn't bring grief to the heart of the child of God. The testament, the psalmist, should always be true. The rivers of waters run down mine eyes. Because they kept not thy law. Yet when you read over the account of Gehazi, I think there is and there are some profound reasons to feel particularly sad when you reflect upon his life. Sin is so insidious, it's so overwhelming. Gehazi sins despite his privileges. He's living with a man of God. Thus, his sin was committed by a man exposed to the word of God. Sitting despite the clear example of the man of God. Elisha had said no. Elisha had said no. And despite clear and obvious example of what was righteous, Gehazi decided to do the opposite. That's brutally sad. To see someone not only violating what he knew to be true, valuing what he'd seen to be true in the life of somebody else. It's tragic for young people to reject their upbringing, to reject the Word of God, and to go in the very opposite of the example of godly parents is a very, very sad situation. He sins not only despite his privileges, he sins despite his opportunities to stop. He had times he could stop. There's a question. Naaman asked the question in verse 21 before he was any further. Is all well? All wasn't well. Everything was wrong. What a question that is from Naaman. It's like, a, it's like a dagger. It's the way of escape in the time of temptation. That was the time Gehazi says, no, I need to turn. I need to go back to my master. He had a similar thing that he, he could have confessed his sin earlier. You have it there with the, the question, verse number 25. Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Elisha is giving Gehazi the opportunity to confess his sin. He sins despite the opportunity to stop. 
He sins despite his conscience. He hides the stuff and he lies about it because he knew he had done wrong. I think this stands in contrast to what we saw before in Naaman's soft conscience. Naaman's a desire to, in verse 18, to make sure that he was walking right with the Lord. He didn't want to commit sin. But here Gehazi, his conscience is seared. He is like those described by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron. A seared conscience, the nerve endings gone. That's the idea there. You get sensitive nerve endings and you cauterize those nerve endings so that pain is not felt. That's the idea. Conscience is meant to be painful. You're meant to feel unwell. You're meant to feel uncomfortable when your conscience pricks you. But what you do is you ignore that pain and you continue to ignore that pain and you sear your conscience. It's very, very serious to ignore conscience. If you feel in your heart you're doing something that's wrong, you should stop doing it. Until you have a conscience that is clear in light of the Word of God. And so Gehazi's sin, despite his privileges, despite his opportunities, despite his conscience, he continues on in his sin, and surely that must break the heart of the child of God to see this. And yet surely we are not exempt from such things. And so finally, let's think about the results of his sin. There are a number of things that are true in light of the, the sequel, the consequence, the results of Gehazi's sin. I think he does bring a potential stumbling block before Naaman. Naaman has only just come to see the God of Israel as the one true and living God, the God of grace. Now, it is not wrong for the man of God to be remunerated for his service. But Elisha makes the point in verse number 26. In essence, he says, is it a time to receive? The implication being, this is not a time to receive. And I think the sense of those words are, this is not the time because this Syrian who's just come to know God must understand that you can't repay God's. And there are times in my heart I really wish I could convince the people of God about this. We believe we're saved by grace. But at times we think that our Christian living is repaying by God. It's not. Our service is not so that we can refund God for His grace. Everything we have is of grace. And our future obedience and our future holiness... It's a consequence of God's grace in our lives. It's a work of gratitude, but you're not paying God back. It's very common back in, in Northern Ireland that someone would have you for a meal. And the family comes for a meal, and as you, as you leave the, the house, you say, Oh, I'll have you back soon. You've fed me, we'll have you back to, to feed you in return. Oh, that's, that's not a problem in, in essence. But there was in that spirit an unwillingness to simply receive grace. To simply receive kindness without having to return it back again. We don't like to know grace, do we? We don't like to feel that we're in people's debts. It's a very serious heart issue. Seems so inconsequential. But simply, in God's sight, we must simply receive what God gives us freely. 
without ever trying to pay God back. And so you have Gehazi here and his actions. He has the tendency, the danger that he may miscommunicate grace to Naaman. And Naaman as a young child of God may well have a misguided understanding of grace. We've got to be careful how we treat young believers. In our attitudes and response towards them, that we make sure we do all they can, that they are grounded not only by our words, but by our example as to what the gospel is all about. And chiefly that we understand that we're only sinners saved by grace. And so this, I believe, is one potential problem, is a potential stumbling block before Naaman. He also, uh, through his sin, he misrepresents the man of God. Verse 22, my master hath sent me. I've taken comfort in the past from the fact that Elisha had no recourse to correct the false presentation. We, we can't always correct how people think about us. Naaman goes back to Syria without ever knowing the truth regarding Elisha. But Gehazi has been guilty of misrepresenting the man of God and ultimately misrepresenting the God of the man, the God of Israel, misrepresented here by the actions of Gehazi. You see, believers, when we are guilty of sin, we bring reproach upon the church of Christ. We bring reproach upon the Word of God. We bring reproach upon the fellowship here. You know, what you are as a member of this congregation in public has a reflection upon this congregation and upon the Word of God and upon the grace of God. None of us act as islands. Your, your words, your, your attitudes, they reflect upon what you have in this place. So be conscious of that. Live aware of that. And that you would bear good testimony to God and to His grace. But of course, ultimately, the greatest sequel to Naaman's sin was the consequence of personal judgment. In verse number 27, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. And there is in these words a covenantal act of judgment. Gehazi, a member of the covenant, has violated the covenant, and God brings down covenantal judgment upon him. These are serious things. To have a hard heart living in the presence of such a brilliant view of God's grace. What a tragedy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.